Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to the Healthcare Whisperer Radio Show. My, welcome back, everybody. My name is Hari Kulsa, and I am your host. I'm a nurse practitioner and patient advocate. You can find me at healthcarewhisperer.com. On Twitter at uh, H-A-R-I-K-1-0-8 or on Facebook at Hari Kulsa. You can also download uh, episodes of the show. This one you can download about 15 minutes after the show ends by just going to blogtalkradio.com and typing in Healthcare Whisperer. I know you're going to want to download this one because it's going to be a great show tonight. Uh, The purpose of the show is to provide information, tips, and tools to to help you get through the maze of the healthcare system. And as you all well know, it certainly can be daunting, scary, and seemingly endless. This show is also is about giving you information on how to stay safe while navigating the system. Before I introduce my wonderful guest tonight, I want to send my love and prayers to the families of the three people who were killed in Boston. It's such a tragedy. I live here in Boston, and it's just been so much. It's been so hard on all of us because the Boston Marathon is a great day here in in the Boston area. We all know someone. We all know someone who has is running, we like to line the streets. I mean, it's just a great day, and we're the only state that has Patriots Day off. I also want to send my deep, deep love to the injured and my prayers to them and to their families. It's so It so saddens my heart. I just can't understand why people do this. What makes them do this? I guess I never will know. I also want to be send my grateful thanks to all those wonderful medical people, all the first responders, all the people who just jumped in without thinking, all those great Bostonians who opened their homes, who opened their restaurants and saved so many people. It was just an amazing, it was amazing to watch on television. It brought tears to my eyes and my heart although heavy, was filled with joy for those for seeing that my neighbors and my community was out there for everyone. So I think that today it's really, really good because today I have a wonderful person on. His name is Reverend Glenn Mortimer. He's a Methodist minister of the United Methodist Church from Wakefield, Linfield area here in Massachusetts. He's been there for about eight years, and I'm, I know he'll be very soothing for us because I thought about canceling today's show, but I think that, you know, this is going to be a really good time uh, to talk uh, about uh, what happened, but also to he's going to talk about how he is an advocate for his parishioners. Um, Reverend Mortimer has studied clinical pastoral education at New England Baptist Hospital in Boston where he has assisted in a study on the post-operative delirium effects of medications during surgery on patients over 65. And we're going to get to that, let me tell you. Uh, he, he's always, I, I have to say I know him, and he is, the stories he tells, they both make me laugh, laugh and cry. And I keep thinking, well, if I'm ever in the hospital, I want, I want him to come and pray with me. Even though I know lots of spiritual people, I want this guy to come and pray with me. Um, he's also served as a chaplain and a member of the board of directors of St. Elizabeth's Boyd Home in Wakefield, a retirement rest home. Um, he has a he he has a uh, personal history uh, besides his his uh, pastoral work. He serves as a power of attorney for his stepfather, Reverend Ned Watts, 
uh, as he lived five years in a health care, long-term care facility due to dementia. He's also now the primary caregiver for his mother. So without further ado, I know I probably over-talked myself, but um, are you there, Glenn? I'm here. Oh, oh, good, good. I wasn't sure. You came on by, they brought you on by, by myself. I'm very proud of oh, myself here. That's good. <laughs> So, Glenn, thank you so very much for agreeing to do this. I know this is a hard time, and I'm sure you've got lots of people calling you to try to understand what happened, but thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. Oh, you're in, you're entirely welcome. And um, it, it is uh, at times like this when a lot of people do turn to uh, spiritual leaders in our community, and uh, one of the things I do tell them is we don't have the answers, as you said, and it's one of those uh, things in life that we can't explain, although we know that God is present with us uh, in the tragedy to walk us through the tragedy. So I think it's apropos that we're here to be able to discuss um, health care and to be able to discuss people's needs and navigating a, a system that's very complex, uh, but also uh, to, to show that you know average lay people can uh, navigate the system with a little assistance. So um, I think this is very pertinent for our time. Well, good. I'm glad because I think, as I said in my intro, you've got the best stories. And um, <laughs> I know you're going to tell them without me even having to prompt you. So uh, I give you full permission to tell whatever stories you want. It um, doesn't take much to prompt me to do a story. So. Oh, gosh, no. I think that's what makes it so, you you're so great in your work. Um why don't you just give us a little bit? I know I gave a little bit of history, but why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, how how did you like decide to go into ministry, or how did how did this whole ministry advocacy thing come about? Well, I I went into uh, ministry as a I spent twenty years as a, a music administrator um, for nonprofit arts organizations, and uh, was called to ministry in my in my thirties. Uh, so went to went back to school to go to seminary, um, and and I didn't I didn't actually start out thinking about uh, you know patient advocacy for for folks when I was in seminary until I got to uh, pastoral care and and we actually started doing some practical work and doing like uh, what we call CPE or clinical pastoral education and and found that you know one of the key components as uh, as a chaplain or a pastor entering a hospital or a healthcare facility was not just to go in and to um, you know pray with your your parishioners and to listen to them and to um, you know uh, listen to their fears and their their anxieties and you know um, you know be able to be a spiritual person, which is extremely important and is, is paramount to to do. But also, as I was sitting there doing that, I discovered that you could also be very effective in helping your uh, parishioner uh, to get better care um, in the facility. Um, you know, you can ask questions that maybe family members or patients didn't think of or wouldn't ask and be a little bit more pushy and and uh, uh, not necessarily demanding, but, you know, kind of firm about what uh, your, your patient needs. Uh, so that started to get me to thinking that this was a, a part of pastoral ministry that was uh, really, not just to go in and, and pray and then leave the hospital, but you know how could you um, how could you help uh, without getting in the way? Obviously, you know the medical people have to do their thing, and and not being a medical person, I don't have the you know the right to uh, certainly make medical judgments. But um, you can certainly listen to your your parishioners, listen to your lay people, uh, and and say, hey, you know, I can I can go make sure the heat gets fixed in their room or you know, uh, <laughs> so were you surprised? Uh, no, I had I had a I had a 91 year old just uh, a week or so ago in in a local hospital, and I walked into the room, and 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 uh, this patient happened to be there uh, for uh, pneumonia and and a very bad case of the flu, and her her room is freezing, and oh, you dear. know her her uh, family member tried but got no action. And so I went out and stood at the nurse's station until somebody said, you know, can I do something for you, uh, Reverend? And I said, yeah, you can get some heat in my patient's room. And, <laughs> you know, they, I, I didn't, I said, I'm not leaving the hospital until we get heat. And, you know, we got heat. 
do their eyes get really big? Like, oh my God, if I don't do this, this could be uh, well, you, trouble you, for me. You can, yeah, <laughs> you you can use the power of the office sometimes to get you know. Uh, I mean, I kind of kid around sometimes with with hospital staff, and I'll say to them, well, you know, if you don't fix this, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> the big boss isn't going to be happy, and and so you know. You're kidding, but you know, in, in a way, uh, your position in society as a clergy person hopefully bears uh, some weight in that you know you're trying to do what is best for your for your parishioners and what's best for the people that you've been called to serve, and uh, and, and part of that may be you, you've got to step into the role of of being firm about uh, things that aren't right. Right, right. And before we go on, I just want to remind viewers that uh, you can call in and ask Glenn or myself any question at 805-830-8363. And please don't be shy if you have a question for, I'm going to call you Reverend Glenn, for, you know, don't be hesitant. Um, So back, so when you first started doing this, was it like a moment where, I mean, was it a surprise to you that people weren't getting what they needed in the hospital? And and that's one part of the question. The other part is, did you have an aha moment where you went, I can do this, I can help? (laughs) Yeah, I think I did have, I mean, to answer the second question first, I think I did have an aha moment. I I think um, sitting there one time with a patient um, at, at New England Baptist, and and they were um, they were terminally ill. They were they were dying of lung cancer, and um, you know, getting the family what they needed for support, and um, you know, uh, corralling uh, you know medical staff to to get things done for the loved ones so that they're comfortable and so forth was uh, kind of an aha moment for me. That yeah, you can have an effect on uh, a positive effect. You can be um a, a minister and an advocate um for for folks you can do a lot more uh there in the room uh, along with you know prayers and and spiritual guidance you can do you can be uh an extra set of ears and eyes and hands and and uh, feet to do the things that maybe family members don't know what to do or um maybe try to do but you know it just it got lost in the system so i think there was an aha moment at at a point in my clinical pastoral education where that kind of struck a chord with me and the other thing i tied that in that i've always liked working with the elderly i've i've uh, always um enjoyed being with them i think i've learned a lot from from seniors uh in certainly in my life and um oftentimes have found that they were an underserved population mm-hmm. um so i i think putting those two things together i thought this is Perhaps a place in ministry that that I've been called, where God has called me to, to um, to, to work, and um, so I think that's those were kind of the moments. Did you um, in 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 recognizing this? Was this something that that you know your your school or your clinicals uh, wanted you to do, or is it something you kind of had to forge on your own and oh. sort of explain to your supervisors or your or whoever was overseeing you? that this is, you know, this is how you saw it. This is what your job is. I, I think I kind of saw it on my own. I, I, I think, you know, when you're taking pastoral uh, education and pastoral care, you learn a lot about um, how to uh, be in a ministry of presence, how to, you know, be in the hospital, uh, what the do's and don'ts are in terms of, you know, when to be, uh, you know when you can be in the room, maybe when you can't. You know when to when to step out when something you know medical needs to happen. Being very aware of hospital policies or or facility policies. Um, being present just to listen and so forth. So those are all the things that kind of, you kind of get taught. Um, and then I think the rest I kind of discovered on my own. Um, mm-hmm. I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't anybody who said, "Gee, I think this is a good good idea." I I think there are some pastors who feel more comfortable in kind of an advocacy role than than maybe others. It all all depends on where, you know, pastoral care falls in your, in your ministry. But for so me it you... was Go ahead. For me it was something that I felt I was I was called to do. I I think this was a place where I was being shown this is where you you know, this is where God is calling you to make a bigger impact uh mm-hmm. in the world, you know. 
Well, that, I mean, that's wonderful because I, I know you have had that impact. But uh, so it must have been kind of fun, and then we'll move on because I'm probably overdoing this, but it must have been fun when you realized when you went, that first time you went and said something to help, like, that fa- that uh, that family with the per- loved one who was dying of lung cancer, that it actually worked. You got, oh, it was. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. you got in the car and you, you, you said to yourself, you know, because sometimes you get in the car and you think, you know, um, I prayed with the person and I was there and I held their hand and so forth. And, you know, you hope, um, you hope that you've um, helped. You hope that the family, that the loved one has, has, you know, at least seen the presence of Christ and 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 has you know felt uh, some spiritual support. Um, but you know, getting in the car after being able to also add that advocacy part, I got in and said, you know, maybe this is the the two of them go hand in hand. You know, the the spiritual part, but then maybe the rest of this is the the faith in action that we often talk about. Sometimes uh, we have to put that faith into action. So. It, it is right. very fulfilling. And, you know, there's a great legacy of uh, clergy being advocates. I mean, let's look at Re- Reverend Martin Luther King. I mean, what greater mm-hmm. advocate? I mean, uh, and, right. and, and, and even, you know, go back to the start of Christianity as Jesus, you know, or Moses, mm-hmm. and even going back before Jesus. You know, these are all people advocated for the underserved, as we say now, or the downtrodden. Mm-hmm. But even, even you know, so there's a great legacy, and it's it's really encouraging that you know I, I I love that you have been able to see that in your face that this is your role uh, because it's definitely needed. Uh, and I and I and I I have to tell the uh, audience that I have been with you when you've had your collar on, and sometimes I don't have to do anything. <laughs> I mean, I'm an advocate, you know, as people know. But there you are, you come in, and there is a little bit of a shaking of the earth. When, yeah. when the collar comes in, so it's really great. I mean, I know it, uh, it, it's very impactful. But um, let's let's go. Let's talk a little bit um, real quick because I think this is something that everybody needs to know about. And you were involved in it. Is the post uh, the study that you worked on for post surgical delirium? Uh, I think it's you know very important. It's you know most of our viewers don't realize that people can Im- be impacted by the anesthesia. Pr- uh, from surgery, and it's a profound, you know, it can really change the personality, and they can mm-hmm. be uh, thought to be psychotic when actually mm-hmm. it's not a psychosis. Well, the psychosis related to the anesthesia, but it's something that's sh- short-lived sometimes. Sometimes it can go on for many months, but mm-hmm. it's misdiagnosed. Mm-hmm. So is, that, well, is the, that, tell us about the study. Well, the the, uh, the the head of the chaplaincy program at New England Baptist, and as the new crop of um, uh, CPE of clinical pastoral, uh, you know, trainees came in and and just literally asked for volunteers if anybody wanted to help. They they were running the study, and I said it sounded very interesting. So I thought I'd I'd love to do it. I'd you know I didn't really understand all the medical uh, jargon, but I thought you know I can listen and learn, and uh, it was extremely interesting. Um, my job was basically to go around and do little mini mental exams, and I had a handheld um, uh, computer to record, uh, you know, the uh, the patients' responses. Uh, of course, for New England Baptist, uh, a majority of the patients that were seen were post-surgical from orthopedic surgery, knees, hips, um, you know, shoulders, elbows, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, so a lot of anesthesia, I would guess, um, uh-huh. you know, to do those kinds of surgeries. And uh, patients would volunteer to be in the study, and I would receive a list and go into the patient's room and, you know, tell them that I was there as part of this study and ask the questions. And some patients had, um, you know, nothing at all. They could answer all the questions, no problem. But it was really fascinating the first time I walked into a person's room, and for, I guess, maybe the first couple of times that I did it, patients didn't seem to have any problems. I thought, well, this is kind of easy. And then I got the one patient where I walked into their room and I started asking them questions and they were off the wall. I'm like, well, that's not even close. <laughs> and so I re- I'm recording and it, it dawned on me, oh my goodness, this person has delirium. Uh huh. From you know, and you know, it's not like they didn't know who they were, but um, they couldn't answer the questions. There were certain things like, 
you know, who's the president of the United States and what day is it and what's the month and what's the season and couldn't answer it. And Got just as an aside, they 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 had been able to answer before the surgery. Yeah, right, correct? exactly. So, you know, these were people yeah. who would have had no cognitive problems at, at all. So, you know, that's what the study was trying to show is how certain medications um, affected people after after surgery, and these were certainly all seniors that were over the age of, I think it was 65 was the was the cutoff. Um, so that was it was very interesting, and then it also got me to thinking, you know, because I have a lot of uh, I see a lot of seniors in the hospital, and I've even said to people who are going in now to uh, to surgery, and I've had parishioners who have had you know knees and hips and so forth replaced. You know, be careful about a day or two after surgery. And I had one of my parishioners who said, oh, yeah, you should have seen me the day after surgery. I was in loopy land. Oh, uh, you know, and, and they, it, But at least the family, she, they kind of warned the family ahead of time that this might happen. Um, but I don't think people think of that, you know. And it can be very disturbing to family members to go in and see their or, or their loved one, um, you know, and they don't, they aren't kind of in touch with reality, so. Right, right. And the unfortunate part of it is because they're older, the first thing everybody jumps to is a dementia and Alzheimer's. But, right. you know, but again, for Alzheimer's isn't something that you have. I mean, it's it's a lot more subtle, and, and it grows, and it's, there's signs that happen. It's not something that literally happens overnight. I mean, that right. um, that change in personality, that level of ch- dementia, of lack of you know cognition, is isn't it, it? I mean, it's profound in Alzheimer's, but there definitely is a progression, and there's definitely stages generally. Right. You know, unless right. it's completely ignored by the family, and and that's the unfortunate part about this. And I think it's really good that your parishioners have you because you don't. What you don't want to happen is someone ending up in a dementia unit or a mental health ward. You know, right. a psych ward. You know, this person needs Haldol. Well, no. What they need is really good care right now. You know, they need to be right. good fluids. And so, I mean, it's 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 really good that you have a, an insight on that. Cause most, I'd say, a lot of doctors don't have a lot of insight on that, unfortunately. Oh no, they don't. And and they, you know, I think letting the family know to bring it up to the doc, you know. So when you see the doctor and they come into the room, you say, well, could could my loved one be, you know, suffering from like a, a delirium from the anesthesia for something in the surgery? And, you know, again, I think a lot of it is just helping people to ask the right questions so they can mm-hmm. get the right information, you know, for their mm-hmm. loved one. Mm-hmm. So, well, that that takes me to my next question here. You, Because you go into the hospital a lot, I mean, the hospitals and the nursing homes and the rehabs, and uh, sometimes you follow people from hospital to, if they're, you know, then sent to a rehab, uh, mm-hmm. you'll see them in both places. Um, so you, um, and you work with the families a lot. What what are some of the problems you run into, you know, consistently, say, in the hospitals with the elderly or, you know, uh, yeah, let's just start there. You know, some of the, are they the same or are they, are you always looking for certain things? Yeah. Well, sometimes, sometimes I actually lose people. I, I had one patient, and they were bounced from one hospital to another hospital to do another procedure, and then they were supposed to go to one rehab. And so sometimes you gotta you gotta be careful that you know where your patient's going. You know. Oh, gosh. Um, I, yeah, I I try to listen to my uh, to my folks when I go into the hospital. Uh, I, a lot of it is you know going in and kind of listening to things and then observing. Also, um, I think and a lot of that is just time going into hospitals and and long-term care facilities and rehab facilities and knowing what is appropriate um, care, what is good care, and what's bad care, and and kind of building up a a, a file bank in your mind of when you've seen good things happening and then comparing that to what you're seeing now and go, oh, this is not not helpful. So why don't you give an Um, example of that specifically? I, I know what you're talking about, but somebody, you know, what what would be good care, and then you would see as the opposing when you when someone else was well, this is not good care. Um, yeah, there's so many stories. I'm trying to <laughs> <laughs> trying to think of that's of, not good. <laughs> yeah, well, I know. Um, 
Well, I think, you know, I'd, um, not naming any facilities or so forth, I, I think when, um, when you go into whether it's a hospital or a rehab facility and, you know, your, your uh, parishioner says to you that they can't seem to get a nurse to respond to uh, or an aide or anybody to respond like when they need to go to the bathroom or they're having problems getting their medication or they're supposed to be on a specific you know, diet because they're a diabetic or they have high blood pressure and they're on a low-salt diet and, you know, they, they, they're getting potato chips or something at lunch. And, you know, <laughs> their, their, their daughter's been in and they've talked to them and it, it never seems to change. Well, then that's when you can say, you know what, let me go talk to somebody. And, and then you go start raising some cane. You know, I need to talk mm-hmm. to the nurse manager. I need to talk to the, um, uh, to the uh, uh, you know, social worker. I, I had a, a parishioner, just, this was in a, a nursing facility, and uh, this parishioner's husband was there. He was there because he had progressive, uh, he had Alzheimer's, and it was, you know, he was too much care to take uh, care of at home, and he was in a facility. Um, and I went to see him, and, and his wife was there visiting, and she took me in the hallway and said, I don't know if this is important or not, but she said, they called me to let me know that they left him in the dining room alone with a fork. <laughs> oh, and no. a knife. And I said, "Oh no. No, no, no. That's not. No. No." <laughs> and and so I said, "Is there anything else?" "Oh, well, there's been a few things." And then if you can get people to talk to you, they start relaying stories and and of course it, it can, you know, pile up to the point where you have to say, "Okay, stop. I've heard enough." Um yeah, and in right, cases right. like that where there's a lot of stuff the first thing I do is get on the phone to the ombudsman, and and, and what's a lot the of people ombudsman? don't. Yeah, go ahead. Well, a lot of people don't know what an ombudsman is, but the ombudsman is uh, who is paid for by Medicare. I mean, it, it is not something that you, the patient, or the patient's family has to pay for. Um, is there to advocate for the patient? And this is uh, in nursing homes mostly, right? Nursing homes. Mostly in, in nursing homes, yeah, um, yeah. Or, or rest homes. Um, uh, and a lot of nursing homes are also have rehab parts, so they're, they're there. And, right, and right, right. the ombudsman is there for the patient. And if there's things like that that have really gone wrong and you're not getting anywhere with the individual facility, call the ombudsman. And if you can't find them, find a clergy person or go online. You can... Um, you can Google, you know, the ombudsman in, in whatever town you're in, in whatever state, and it'll come up. You should be able to find who, who they are fairly easily. Um, and they're there for you. I mean, they're there to advocate for you, uh, just like what you do, Hari, and uh, to uh, help the patient and the family members get the care and so forth and follow the appropriate procedures that they should have. And, of course, well, a lot have... of the... Go ahead. Well, uh, the 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 fear is that a lot of seniors don't want to make waves, especially right. if it's a long-term care facility, because then they think their loved one isn't going to get good care. Right, or they're uh, going to get that should be the, they're going to get um, penalized in some way. Right, right. Yeah. And that should be the farthest thing from their mind. You know, it, it, if you were giving good care in the first place, we wouldn't need to call the ombudsman. Right, right, right. Yeah. So what some of the things that people can call the ombudsman for, and, and let me just clarify, I, I advocate, but when an ombudsman has the power of the state behind them. They can stop Medicare pay, payments to the facility, which puts the mm-hmm. fear of God into yeah. these facilities. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, you, you may have a little right. help there, but, but the ombudsman... So if you have a pastor and an ombudsman, you've got a lot yeah. of fear going on. because Yeah, you've you got the whole package there. Right, exactly, and, right. Exactly, yeah. But the you know some of the things that you would call the ombudsman for would be repeated no heat. That would be a big one. You right. know, um, not getting medications, not being changed appropriately. Um, uh, that, I mean, being a dirty what else? facility. A, a dirty facility. Any kind of abuse. You know, right. You know, you know lack of of. Of everything from temperature control, you know, lack of heat or air conditioning, you know, um, you know, maybe they just deliver, you know, the medications and set them on the bed tray, and and say, you know, they're supposed somebody's supposed to wait until the patient takes that medication, you know, or before they leave. Or how about this the, one? 
a bad discharge, sending someone oh, home yeah. from a rehab without without proper care. You can't do that. Right. That I mean, you can't do that from the hospital. They get away with it sometimes, and you know, I can't do that. But the ombudsman will. That's another thing. The ombudsman will happily. I mean, they get like they start salivating. <laughs> you know, when they get these yeah. kind of things. You know. Yeah. And, and I've seen I've seen ombudsman. I've seen ombudsman. Um, you know literally stop Medicare payments right there. Yeah, you right have a great story. I'm going to have to ask you to tell us, because that story is one of the absolute most wonderful ombudsman stories I've ever had. So one of our local mind-blowing ombudsmen here in Massachusetts, you have a great story about her. Yeah, and it was a, a patient. So, that you know, it was obvious that, that the care was not being um, – adequately administered, uh, you know, all the things we just mentioned, you know, lack of temperature control, uh, you know, not getting medications on time, uh, not even being able to see, you know, a, a doctor uh, or, or to, you know, uh, hear a complaint. I mean, waiting, you know, an hour, to, you know, after pressing the buzzer to call for a nurse to get out of bed to get to the bathroom. Um, and, and wasn't so, there someone with a pelvic fracture who had a crank bed, not an electric yes. bed, and right. she was not told electric... to get up and do it herself? Right, right. Yeah. Okay. And, and and so you know, I called the ombudsman, I, and and you know that was just it was like a breath of fresh air because uh, you know the ombudsman came in and uh, as you said had had a lot more power behind them, you know, than than I did, even as a pastor or as, uh, you know, someone who was trying to just advocate for the patient. And, and uh, boy, did people, you know, sit up and take notice, and things got changed immediately. And uh, and the ombudsman was ruthless. Uh, I mean, everything from uh, why isn't there, you know, uh, ice water on every tray in every room. I mean, um, this ombudsman just, you know, started spotting violation after violation after violation. So it was uh it, it was an awe-inspiring moment. Right. But, but it, yeah, you you got to tell more of that story. I mean, the part that I love the best in that story is how she, the 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 director wasn't there and it was it was like 6 o'clock, right? At night. And and she told the staff to go get the, the executive director and well, he's not He's not there. He's he's home. Go get him. Tell him to come. I'll right. stay here yeah. all night. Right. I mean, I know I'm yeah. telling a I mean, story, but that's such a beautiful story of someone who was like, I'm here to help this person. Now, I'm going to sit here until it's taken care of. Right. And, yeah. and I think people people have to realize that that's not a bad thing. You know, your your loved one is in a vulnerable position. They can't. You know, the reason they're in the facility is because they can't do something for themselves. They've either been extremely ill or are recovering from a surgery or an injury or something. And, you know, if if they're not getting the proper care, they can't, like, get up and, and do this for themselves. Uh, right. So the, right. You know, right. So people have to advocate for them. Right. So when you... I mean, before people... When, or, or you're in a situation like that with a parishioner... Um, you or before they go in the I guess this one before they go in the hospital. Do you do you like counsel them if you know they're going into a hospital or a nursing home or a family? Do they people come to you and you tell them, well, this is what I think. You know, here are some tips. Like, are there things that you tell people before they're going in the hospital or the surgery? If, or if I yep, if I know that they're going in the hospital for a planned surgery, you know. Um, I'll I'll say to either the patient or you know the family member who's who's going to be with them, you know they'll say you know what can we expect or um, or whatever and and you try to kind of fill them in on you know what they can expect and and also help them to understand that it's it's okay to to ask for things uh, or to ask questions and if you don't know what's happening with your care to make sure that you talk to a doctor and and if you're not getting uh, you know, adequate information from that doctor. You ask to speak to you know the next person above them, and um, and also there are case managers. You know, everybody's assigned a case manager, um, and and if you know that your surgery is going to require that you go to a rehab facility afterwards, 
You can request a certain rehab facility. You can set that up ahead of time and call the rehab facility and say, I'm going in for surgery on such and such a date. I'd like, uh, you know, to reserve a bed. A lot of them will do that. And then when the case manager comes, you say, you know, don't worry, I've already got a bed at a facility, and here's who you call, and you can get that taken care of ahead of time. Right, because a lot of times people are just unaware that this is going to be the next step, you know, that they're going to have to uh, go to a rehab. So the the case manager will come in maybe two or three days, so, well, here's three that I like, you know, to the people. Yeah, right. And and the loved one, and they're – you know, they don't have time to go look at a facility or know what's good or bad, and the hospital hasn't doesn't really care. They just want the, you to get a bed, and that's all they care about. Right, right. Yeah. When, when your time is done, they want you, they want you out, you know. And right. sometimes it also requires, I mean, I had a parishioner who, who called me up, and, and their loved one was sent from the hospital to a rehab facility, not of their choosing, because... Uh, the 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 case manager just came in and said, "This is where I could find a bed, so this is where they're going." And after being there a day, the the family member called me up and said, "I I I don't like the care that they're getting. It smells, and um, they you know they're they're not getting my my uh, you know family member up to go to get to the bathroom, and they have accidents, and they're not getting the proper medication, and you know the the dressing isn't getting changed, and they, there's a whole laundry list. So." I I found out the facility had been cited several times by the ombudsman to to have their Medicare payments revoked. Oh great! And, and I and and of course this this particular parishioner didn't have any other immediate family, but I called their um, family attorney, and I said, "Can you help in this situation?" And I explained that I explained what was going on, and, and the attorney said, "Absolutely," uh, and and we worked together to get this family member out of that facility and into a uh, into another you know better facility with with better care. Right, and here's a good point is that you can say to a facility we want to move our loved one, they're not going to do anything to help you. No. You have to it, re- and and you think they're going to because you've said it. No, you have to do everything yourself. Right. It it's all on you. It's yes. all on you. Yes, and, and you know sometimes you go into facilities and you're you're pleasantly surprised, you know that things that things go well. I mean, um, I, I don't want <laughs> I don't want everybody to think that every facility is bad because some you know there are facilities, hospitals, and long term care facilities, and and you know the care is excellent, and you know the the, the uh, surroundings are excellent, and the, you know the family tells you how well their loved one is doing because you know they're getting good care. The the nursing staff is responsive, that the doctors seem to be responsive. And that's that's one of those things you file away and say, okay, that's a good facility. And, and you weigh that the next time you have somebody that has a whole pile of problems against, well, are they getting this other level of care? Well, no, they're not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. so you you kind of use it as a scale of, you know, this is what a good facility looks like, this is what good care looks like. And if you're not seeing that, then it's... It, it's um, you know, it's probably substandard care. Well, and the other thing I always tell people is that you can't you can't let your guard down, even if it is a fairly good facility, mm-hmm. because it it just you have to be vigilant. You, nursing homes. Oh yeah, things they, can happen, right? Yes, and uh, I sort of uh, my husband and I have this saying: we we go to these different Chinese restaurants, and sometimes we'll go and we'll go, oh, the cooks changed, not as good. <laughs> And I sort of feel that way about some of the nursing homes, even the ones that I usually have a good, you know, I find to be attentive to the clients, that sometimes you go there and something's changed, whether they have a new administration, whether they have a new nursing director, you never know. But, right. you know, and then I kind of in my head go, oops, the cook changed. Right. Because, right. you know, that's why you have to be vigilant. You can't ever let your guard down with your loved one because they're, they've got a 100 or so people on the floor and they're going to do their best, but it's never going to be what you really, really want. So right. you just have right. to be vigilant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no, my there little... are t- right. No, absolutely. Even in, even in the best of facilities, you know, um, things can go awry, and and right, uh, personnel can change and staff can change between visits, and you know, you can have somebody in a facility, a hospital or a nursing home or whatever, and. 
you know, one person had a fantastic, you know, experience, and then you can go in and visit another parishioner, and it's just been awful. And and you know what changed? Well, the staff, as you said, staff may have changed. You know, maybe uh, the director may have changed. You know, who knows? But it just, you know, something happened. Something happened, yeah. But it's unfortunate because then you, then you and I have to start looking for another place that we like, or a few, you know, two, three in the neighborhood, wherever it is, the right. area that you know, and that's that that can be painful for us. <laughs> um, it, it can, and, and and I've said to people, you know, just I've I've said to parishioners, I said just because you know you've always gone to X hospital or Y healthcare facility or whatever, doesn't mean that if you're not getting good care that you can't move, you know. It's just like going to a doctor. Just because you've gone to one doctor and gotten one opinion doesn't mean that you can't go to another doctor and get another opinion. Right, and you tell people that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, if I you're mean, not comfortable with point. the I, I I had a I had a uh, a woman in my my parish and she got a diagnosis of breast cancer and and what they were telling her and she can't, of course, you know, at, uh, at her age, um it was it was uh, it was a devastating diagnosis because she was fairly young and um, came to me for just some spiritual support and so forth. And in the course of our discussion, I said, "I think you should get a second opinion because mm-hmm. I don't think this. I don't. I don't. I, what I'm hearing is I don't think you're comfortable with the the path of treatment that they've laid out for you." And so she went and got another opinion, and it was like a whole new world opened up because they gave her another path of treatment that was a lot better um and i think to this day this person is is um cancer free oh yeah i mean that's the power i agree i agree i second opinion second opinion i can't say it enough to people you know you just never know what options are going to come up and it's a powerful moment so um, yeah, that's great. That's great. You are such a great advocate. They people. I hope your parishioners appreciate you. I know they do. Well, they do. They they do. They my do. they 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 say to me all the time that they you know they're going to tie me to the church so that I never leave because um, and and I've had people who I've gone into the facility to the hospital and you know I I'll hear from the case manager something oh we're going to discharge this person to home and I'll say to them you can't do that well why not because this person's loved one can no longer care for them at home right. well they didn't tell us that. i know they're not going to tell you that but i'm telling you that they can't care for them at home and i'm not afraid to say that to people that you know the, this loved one needs to be in a long-term care facility and i'll help you talk to the family about that but you cannot send this person home you know and it works and it does I mean, work you know yeah yeah, yeah, no, and the pro- the problem is is they don't. I mean, it's amazing to me that case managers don't see the dynamic that's going on. They don't see how the person has changed. They don't see. Or they don't ask the right questions, and that's right. why your role is so powerful, or an advocate's role. I mean, you as the minister see so much and listen so yep. much, and. As a patient advocate, I get to see some of that, and you know, I at least I get to know they can't go home too. I mean, I've stopped people in the ER with this. The guy was delirious. He'd yeah. given the wrong medicine. He'd, he he was having problems, and they were getting ready to discharge him when I walked in, and his wife was sobbing, saying, "I can't do it. I can't do it." And I said, "Whoa, everybody, let's stop here yeah. because he's not going home." Same thing. So yeah. they're very lucky that they can call you. Um, so I want to, you know, we're kind of getting close to time, and I don't want to miss this part, which I know is very important. You know, uh, uh, you've done so much work in advocacy, but I bet you never thought you'd find yourself being an advocate or being a caregiver and a power of attorney for your own family members. And I know, um, you know, your stepfather, uh, <coughs> Ned Watts, Reverend Ned Watts, you were the power of attorney for five years, as I mentioned. I mean, what, what was that different? I mean, what was that like? You can and explain what being a power of attorney means. I think for people. yeah, I well, you know, when he um, when he and and my mother, my my father died at a very uh, young age of of fifty four of a of a heart attack, and uh, my mother was widowed for about seventeen eighteen years before. Uh, she and Ned married, and then after they did, he he um, 
his uh, first wife also had died, um, and so you know, two widowers, uh, and but they didn't have any children. He had no other other family in the immediate area, and so asked me to be, you know, his power of attorney should anything happen. And I didn't really know what a power of attorney did, so I said, sure, I, you know, I'm whatever. I can that do that. Be, I can do that. I can do that. How hard? How hard could it possibly be? And oh, I didn't even yeah. bother to ask anybody, you know. So I just said yes. <laughs> And oh, then a number of years after after they married, um, he started to have some some problems. And, and to make a long story short, ended up with a, um, a shunt for normal pressure hydrocephalus, which is, I guess, I mean, you're the medical person. Why is it like a water on the brain? Yeah, 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 the brain. Type of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, and then that precipitated the whole other series of problems, ending up with like a vascular dementia, and he was in a... Uh, uh, a nursing home for five years. Then I found out what the power of attorney actually does. And and so basically what you do um, is you run the person's life for them. Um, The legal documents basically tell you that you are now making the decisions that this person would have made uh, if they were capable. Mm -hmm. And and they've they've asked you to do it because they feel that you will make those decisions as they would have made them. And when you stop to think about that, it's a daunting task right. uh, because you're talking about doing everything from paying their bills to managing their finances to, uh, you know, in this case, I had to sell, uh, you know, his house. Um, so you're, you know, you could be doing some major things for this person all the time you're asking yourself, I'm, I'm pretty sure that this is what this person would have done. I hope it is, and you pray that it is. Um, and then you have to tell yourself, you know, they appointed you because they had confidence in you that you were going to do the best for them as, as they would have done for themselves. Mm-hmm. And But but it is a daunting test. So I would, I would just caution listeners to say, it's okay to say yes to being a power of attorney, but I would make sure that you maybe research it a little bit as to what the responsibilities are before, you know, know what you're getting yourself into. Because the other thing is it's very time-consuming. Right. And you found that in your, you know, he went into a nursing home, long-term care facility, and you spent a lot of your time, even though you weren't healthcare proxy, you were closer, and because you were doing the bills, they contacted you a lot. That's correct? Right. Right, it is, yeah. So oftentimes the person who... You were very busy, Yes. Oftentimes the person who's paying, you know, the bills and so forth. And and the other thing I would I would say to people is also don't think that just because it's somebody's in a nursing home or a hospital or a healthcare facility and people are talking in medical terms that you don't understand anything. I think people nowadays know that they you can go online, you can you can read. There's a lot of information out there that you can educate yourself at least a little bit. Um to understand, uh, and then you can also observe your loved one, you know. So if if they're telling you, oh, I think, you know, your loved one's going to be just fine, but, you know, they used to be able to eat and drink by themselves and now they, they can't, you, you, you know, you know enough to say, excuse me, no, they are not fine, you know. Right. They can't eat and drink now. You know, six months ago they could eat and drink by themselves. And, and, what you, ha- and what they're telling you does not match what you're seeing. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And yeah. and so you know I had a lot of uh, I had a lot of conversations and some of them were were difficult you know where where you meet in care meetings at at uh, a nursing home facilities about your loved one and some sometimes the treatment you know they they talk to you like a layperson well you wouldn't understand what we're talking about. Well, you know, I didn't fall up the turnip truck yesterday. I mean, I'm <laughs> I, I'm not totally ignorant. I mean, you know, I, I I do have a graduate degree. I am a pastor. I I think I'm, you know, I can uh, comprehend, you know, what you're saying. So I wouldn't let people kind of talk down to you. That's you know, a good point. Them, That's an excellent point. Make them explain. If you if you don't understand a term, make them explain it. And and if you're in a care meeting and they're going to say, oh, this we're going to do this, 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 and this, and you don't agree with it, you can say, you know what, no, you're not going to do that because right. I don't think that's what's best for my loved one. 
I think this is what's best. Well, I, I mean, one of the things that I remember, I came on to help you. You had me help out towards the very end of Ned's life because there were yeah. some problems. And one of the issues was, and we see this a lot in nursing homes, is that he was definitely declining. He was definitely nearing the end of his life. And we, and you were getting the runaround that he was getting better. And, oh, let's keep him on all these medications. And it was right. so Astounding. I mean, that's where my eyes, I mean, I'd seen it before, but this one was so egregious. He couldn't ha- carry on a conversation. He wouldn't, I mean, it, it, was an am- it, it was amazing to me that they were really trying to, really saying these things. And it wasn't until mm-hmm. you just literally, and I say everybody out there, he literally put his foot down. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I know, did. Yeah, no, you just, and because that was the only way they heard it. You know, because it was it was just wrong. He was not getting better, and I think after that last chemo, he died like a month later. He died a month right? later, and and the, and the other thing, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't doing it just because I felt that it was the right thing to do. You know, I had had a discussion with him, and you know, he made it clear to me when he appointed me as his power of attorney that you know if he got to the point where he was really that bad, he didn't want to live any longer. You know, yeah. he, he made that expressly clear. Let me go. My time is done. And and as a pastor, he knew that you know it was in God's hands, and and his time was coming to an end. And to prolong it just for whatever reason wasn't. There were no good reasons. You know. No, no, there were no. If, good if he had gotten to the point where he can't walk and talk and eat and and so forth, and he's just. Uh, you know, bedridden twenty four seven. He didn't want to go on, and I think he had the right to to say that's you know when when I get to that point, you have to help me. Right, and, and so he as did. power of attorney, you, right, you have to go and 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 say this is what you know. I'm trying to fulfill my loved one's wishes. Right, and you did you did just that. You know, we're getting pretty close. I know you have to leave a few minutes early, so um, you know one thing. I guess what I would really like before you go is to, and we, you know, we didn't talk about uh, Glenn, Reverend Glenn also takes care of his mother, which is almost a full-time job um, overseeing her care. But um, what I guess what's your sage advice to people when they find themselves in this situation with a loved one? You know, you've seen both sides of the coin. You've seen the hot, you know, being an advocate for, you know, people, your parishioners, which isn't as emotionally uh, impactful. But when it's your only Mm -hmm. family member, I mean, and you've done now too. You you know, you're on your Mm -hmm. second one. You know, right. uh, what what what's like some just really quick sage advice before you go and play with your three year old. Well, I think my advice, and I say this to my parishioners' families, you know, when when they have a loved one in the hospital, is you are empowered to help your loved one, and and don't feel that just because you're they're in a hospital or uh, in a nursing home or a long-term care facility that you don't have any power because you know it's a hospital. You don't understand medicine. You don't understand the terminology. You don't understand the red tape. Baloney. You have power because it's your loved one. You know what their needs are better than anybody else. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the medical people know what's medically wrong with them. But if you don't see things happening that you think should happen or you think will help them or you think that they did or didn't want, you have the power to speak up and mm-hmm. to say something. And you can do it in a in a kind way, but you have to advocate for yourself and you have to feel empowered that you don't have to check your um, yourself at the door of the hospital, you know, that when you're sitting <laughs> at the bedside with a loved one, y- you can talk to the doctor and say, yeah, I don't understand, I don't understand this treatment plan, can you explain it to me again? I don't know why you're doing this, can you tell me, you know? Right, right, and you, you have know, the power wh- to say no. And you have the power to say no. No, I don't want to put my, my mother, my father, whoever, through that. No, I don't want to, I don't want them to go through that. You know, uh-huh. I mean, uh-huh. if they're not able to answer for themselves, you know, you have the right to say no. And having done that I with know, your parishioners, you've been able to do that with your family. Right. Exactly. And it's and, been hard. You know, I mean, I've walked that with you. It's it's hard. It's not easy. It is. 
No, it, it's it's not easy. And and also you have the right to, you know, provide some direction like you have the right to say where your loved one is going to go if they have to go to a rehab after a hospital stay. You don't have to take the first one that the uh, case manager comes up with. If if it's not a facility that that you want to send them to, if if you know you need something closer, you can work with them to find something better. Uh, and right. and sometimes it may take some pushing, uh, and and so forth. But it, it's it, it, those are things that you can you can do. Right. Well. Um... I, I mean, again, I say your parishioners are very lucky to have you, and uh, yeah, I, I can see them tying you to the to the altar there. <laughs> Tying me to. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it, but maybe that's maybe that some brothers else will do it. <laughs> but I want I know you have to go, so I want to thank you so much. This has been, I have to say, this has been a delightful uh, show tonight. Your information has been very powerful, and, and um, you know, thank you so much, and. Uh, Keep doing what you're doing. It's such a blessing, and you're totally walking, continuing the legacy of all those great clergy who have been there for, you know, all those who are in need. So thank you very oh, much. Th- thank you, Hari, and, and certainly what you do and, and the opportunity to, to do a show like this is extremely important to get the word out to people so that they can get information is a powerful tool that right. people should have, and absolutely, and this is this is critical, so having this space and time is is really wonderful and and bless you for doing that. Oh, thank you. I need all the blessings I can get these days. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Talk to you later. Well, thank you, Harry, very much. Have a good night. You too. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, everyone, that was uh Reverend Glenn Mortimer who was just really wonderful to have on. Uh, I just want to reiterate one thing he said is that you know, you have you are empowered to ask for help. You are a, the one who can ask for help and you shouldn't, you know, um and I want to add to that that you can ask you'll feel empowered to ask someone to help you ask, whether it's an advocate or another family member you know, or your pastor, uh, someone who can help you, or a friend, because it, it you do have that power, and you do have the power to um, say no if you don't agree with something, or not even just no, but let's wait. I need some more information. So uh, I want to thank him uh, very much for being on. Um, just real quick before this is over, I wanted to let everybody know, I forgot to do it at the beginning, anyone who would like to give money, uh, donate to uh, help the injured and the families in Boston, from the Boston Marathon uh, Act of Terror, uh, I'm going to give you some funds you can uh, that are legit. Uh, it's, uh, the first one is one, spelt out, one, so o n e funboston.org that's one word onefunboston.org and that's been organized by the governor of Massachusetts and the mayor of Boston the other one is uh thepatriots.com/donate and Robert Kraft, the owner, has said that he will match $100,000 donated uh, for the victims. So I know there's more out there, but these two I know are for sure legit. And there are some others. There are some businessmen in Boston who are also putting it. And I couldn't find their the website today. I know it's out there. Um, so if you can, a lot of people are going to need help. Uh, so I... I hope that everyone can donate uh, as best you can or give of your services. I know that so many people have offered to give blood that the Red Cross said, you know, they had enough right at the beginning, so that was good. Um, Again, uh, my heart is broken by, by the events that we saw in Boston, and I hope that all of you out there will pray for the healing of all all of us who were traumatized by this event, and uh, we will all heal together because Boston is one of the strongest, most wonderful communities. Uh, we we have some great sports teams, too. Uh, so I look forward to the healing of Boston. 
And thank you, everyone, for listening tonight. And remember, you can get a copy of this at Blog Talk Radio. Type in Healthcare Whisperer, and the shows will come up. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Be back soon. Bye-bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.